our series on shipwreck. Now, in this whole series, we are looking at all of the ships that are in your lives and how they were wrecked by one major event in human history. Now, last week, we, um, we had a main point that said that you don't have to understand the hows of creation. We just have to understand the who, the who of creation. And so last week we looked at the first who that was there, and the, that was God. In the beginning, God. And we saw the Hebrew word Elohim. Really, really cool word that told us a couple of things about who God is, that he is masculine, that he's plural, and that it has this neat structure that says that he is royal and of authority. And then we saw that God is not blind, deaf, or dumb last week. And finally, we saw a God who is logical, a God who is ordered, and a God who is intentional. Now, it took us 35 minutes to unpack all of that last week, and it just took about 35 seconds just now. So you should know that I'm a little bit long-winded when it comes to stuff. I'm sorry, I could do that. But today, today we're going to continue on, and we're going to talk about the second who that's seen in chapter 1. But before we do, I just have to know from you guys all in the audience, how many of you are still keeping your New Year's resolutions? Oh, a few of you out there. All right, now some honesty. How many of you have already broken a New Year's resolution? Yeah, good. Josh, thank you so much for being honest. Josh has got both hands in the air back there, up in, up in the air. So, you know, it's three weeks into January, and they tell us this is about the time that people begin to slide on their commitments. Now, I have to be honest, I didn't make a New Year's resolution that most people make. Most people, New Year, they go, I want to get in shape. Now, I have been very proud for many years to say that I am in shape. It just happens to be a round shape, not the kind of shape that other people might be in. So I, I like to believe that I'm in round shape, but yesterday, for the first time in about six years, I went to the gym. So today, if you see me all of a sudden, like, go down or something, just know that I, I'm, hurt, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching hurt today, all right? You know, when, when you work out, the next day, you know how it is. You're just like, can't hardly move. I feel a little bit stiff up here today. But that's okay, because I didn't make the New Year's resolution, so I don't have to go back. <laughs> but I'm going to try, because I want to be in good shape, so it's a good thing. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 and, uh, through 28, and then we're going to flip over, and we're going to look in chapter 2 as well. Um, so it starts with this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created male and female, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the whole earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Flip over one more page to just chapter 2, verse 7. It says this. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for 
who you are and for just the way that you love us and are doing things. God, I pray that this passage today would um, help us, to help us to understand a little bit more about who we are, about where we have come from. God, how it is that you intentionally designed and intentionally created us. Just give you all of the glory and the honor. It's in your name we pray. So last week was about the very first who, which was God. And this week is about the second who that we see in this passage, and that's you. Quite literally, today's message is all about you. Now, my wife laughed at me whenever um, I told her that that was a part of the message. She said, no, wait a second. I thought we say that church is not about us. And I said, you're right. Church is not about us, but today's message is about you. All right. So the second who is you. Now, when I was thinking about my main point for today, um, I thought about using this as a main point. Let's put it up on the screen here. You are full of shit. <laughs> now, again, I like to run all of my things through my wife. She's my extra filter that happens, and she said, Charles, you cannot say that. I said, why? It's memorable. People will remember this as a main point. She said, yeah, but somebody's going to walk out of there and they're going to say it to somebody else. They're going to say, our pastor said, we're all full of shit. And they're going to think that you were cussing them out. So I crossed that out. And so we no longer have, this is our main point. Yep, see, I crossed it out. Even in my notes, I crossed it out. So our main point today is this. It says, in the beginning, your ship shape was sunk. Now, try to say that three times fast. In the beginning, your ship shape was sunk. Now, I love the word ship shape, right? What in the world does ship shape mean? Some of you probably like, oh, I've used that word before, but what does it mean? So I went and looked it up, right? If you don't know what something means, you should always go to Webster's. So here it is, the definition of ship shape. By the way, it's both a verb and an adjective and an adverb, and it can be used as a noun. I know, it's a great word. I'm telling you. But it says this, it says, based on the obligation of a sailor to keep his or her quarters neatly arranged and secure against the inevitable turbulence at sea. See, I can't even say it. Inevitable turbulence at sea. That's what ship shape is. So in other words, they had to tie everything down and keep it in a manner that it wouldn't roll around all over the place. There's a second part of the definition that says this. Ship shape is also, oh wait, don't I have the second part of the definition there? I'll read the second definition, it's okay. It also implies neat and efficient packing to fit into a limited space, typically associated with a sailor's small quarters. I began to think about that word and how interesting that is, especially when I consider how God made us, right? There's a tremendous amount that is packed into the tiny space of us. Creativity is there. Emotions are there, right? Man, sometimes emotions are so big, I don't even know how we capture them inside of us. Thought is inside of us, right? Feelings, all of that, there's there. And, but then there was this part of the definition that left out, left out at me. You see, when we get to chapter three of Genesis, we're gonna see the Titanic of all Titanics of shipwrecks, right? It's the shipwreck that you and I continually bump up against and that, rep, that wrecks all of the ships that's in our lives. But I realized something 
that was really pretty incredible to me. God was not surprised by what took place in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve took the fruit that they were not supposed to eat and sin entered into the world. God was not surprised. He was not caught off guard by the whole thing. And now in the, the course of the narrative, you go, wait a second, Paul, how is that even really possible? Because everything that God had created was good, and then there's this moment, and everything is broken. And you're going to tell me that God was not surprised by that? No, I don't think he was surprised at all. In fact, I will tell you that he gave us the ships in our lives to be able to withstand the turbulence of the sea of life. He wasn't surprised by Genesis chapter 3 at all. But saying that you and I are created in ship shape really doesn't help us know anything more about who we are than seeing the words right there in the text that says that we're created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. I don't know about you, but I've never seen God. So what in the world does it mean that I am created in the image and in the likeness of who God is? Now, I, I'm a nerd when it comes to biblical things. I like to go do research and, and do a whole bunch of word study stuff. And um, I like to read a lot of scholars that, are, that talk about these sorts of things because I don't want to sound ignorant whenever I'm talking to somebody else about what a passage is. The first thing I'm going to tell you is, is there are a lot of thoughts from a lot of people about what this means about being created in the image of God. But recently, scholars have come to a big conclusion that the words image and likeness do not mean something totally different in the scheme of what it means to be created in God's image and likeness. There was a whole theory back at the turn of the century. Actually, we're in, a, we're in the next century. So the turn of the 20th century in the early 1900s that separated these two words out and tried to say that they made their own unique arguments about who God is. But really and truly... They don't. And sometimes the text that helps us the best is when we get the very first translation of this and the Greeks were the first ones. They created the Septuagint. And that was so that the earliest Christians could read the old scriptures, the Old Testament. And the Septuagint translates this word icon and icon. It's the same word twice. We were created in the icon of God. We were created in the icon of God. And that seems like where you're like, wait, I know that word. We have icons all the time. My phone is full of icons. You're right. They're a resemblance of, they're a, a symbol of what it was that they link you into. Now I want to dive just a little bit deeper because these two words are pretty cool words. The words are salim and demu. That's the Hebrew that's used here. Now salim is in the masculine form and demu is in the feminine form. And I think that's really incredibly interesting that God instructed the writer here who's writing in a poetic form to inform us about everything he says look i want you to make sure that you include these two different aspects of who i am and how i am created he says let's create man in our own image the masculine let's create them in our own likeness the feminine and then he created them male and female do you know why he did that? 
And so that us guys wouldn't get all caught up and say that God created man only in his image. Because we would. We would totally do it. In fact, when we go to chapter 2 and we see that woman came as a rib from Adam, we seem to think that that means that God didn't have the same intentionality about creating woman that he did about man. And it's not true. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God was intentional from the very beginning. And so, ladies, you can hang your hat on. God was thinking about you when he wrote this. That you were important and you are created in his image and in his likeness. Here's the second thing I want us to see about the word Selim. Now, Selim is used throughout the, the Old Testament to convey that things were created in an image. In fact, most of the time it's used talking about like idols, right? These stone carved images that are made and they're in some sort of a likeness of something else. We see it throughout the book of Daniel. He uses this word over and over again. He talks about the statue that was carved out. In fact, in Daniel chapter 3, it's used almost 20 times in the context. That's a bunch. But there are two times in the Old Testament that this word is not translated as image. And so I want to show those for just a second because I think that they give us some really interesting insight into this word and it's something that God was doing here. So verses psalms 39 5 and 6 it says this it says behold you've made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you surely all mankind stands as a mere breath surely a man goes about as a and here's the word salim shadow it's translated as shadow let's flip over psalms 73 20 it says this it says, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms or as shadows. So this word, salim, can also mean shadow or phantoms as well as images. And I think this is really interesting because if you've been around the church for a really, really long time, then you know that throughout the Old Testament that we say that there are these are shadows of something to come, right? And if you've never been around the church before, that's okay, because you need to know as you read through the Old Testament, even though it was put together by 34 different authors, right, that's a bunch of different guys, written together over 1,200 years, it foreshadows a tremendous amount of things that happen in the New Testament, right? They are a shadow of things to come. Now, this idea of shadow is really important as you study the Old Testament. In fact, Tom Bradford, who's of the Torah Institute, he stated it this way. He said, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, we see a reality of duality. Now, let me say that again. He said, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, we see a reality of duality. Or a real physical object that gives resemblance to something that is spiritual. He goes on. He says, oftentimes, physical objects in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament are but shadows of something spiritual, wherein a physical object is contained to the four fields of width, length, depth, and time, or if you're a sci-fi nerd like myself, time and space continuum, right? But the spiritual is not contained to those four. Now, let me see if I can give you some examples of what I'm talking about. 
Because that's a mind-blowing concept for just a second to say, wait a second, are you saying that we're just shadows of something else? Hang on, don't get, get ahead of me just yet. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. So Genesis chapter 3, we just talked about it um, a moment ago, that we have Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden. They're right next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And hanging on the tree is the serpent. Now, inside of the text, there is nothing that tells us who this serpent is other than that he is the serpent. But we know from other texts inside of the Bible that the serpent was none other than Satan himself, who was there to tempt Adam and Eve, to encourage them to defy the one and only law that God had given them to follow. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Eve takes, reaches out, grabs the fruit, takes a bite, turns, hands it over to her husband, he takes a bite, and both of them disobey God. And it happens on a very physical level. And there is a physical punishment that happened because of this. And that's why everything must die. It's the punishment of sin. But that's not all that played out in this scene. In fact, if you go back and look at the Hebrew scholars as they talk about this scene, they don't talk about it as the fall of mankind. They talk about it as the fall of Satan. Because you see, in this moment, we have something that also played out in a spiritual scene. Of, and we find out later in the book of Isaiah and again in Luke that Satan was cast out of heaven. And he was cast out of everything. And so we have this physical story that plays a part in our existence, but it has a very deep spiritual implication to it as well. And it had a spiritual level of what was taking place. And so not only was it physical, but it was a shadow of a reality that was going on in the spiritual realm. Now, that's one example. Let me give you a second one. So in later on in the Old Testament, we have this group of people that are God's chosen people called the Israelites. And the Israelites um, come out of, of Egypt and they're traveling through the desert. And they do a terrible job of traveling through the desert. It takes them 40 years to make a trip that should have taken 40 days. All right? I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really long road trip. <laughs> and while they're in the midst of the desert, they run across some poisonous snakes. Imagine that. You're in the desert. There's poisonous snakes. Hmm, I wonder if we can relate, right? By the way, you go out in our desert, there's poisonous snakes, okay? Just tell them. So, poisonous snakes, you get bit, you're going to die. And in order to combat this plague that was sent to the Israelites, they're told something very specific. They're, say, they're told, take and put one of the snakes, the snakes on a giant pole in the middle of the camp. And anybody who turns after being bitten by the snake and looks at, looks at the snake hanging on the pole will be miraculously healed. Now there's something very physical that took place right there. It was a physical healing that took place. But we know that it was pointing to an immense spiritual implication. Because there is a moment where all of us who are bitten by the serpent, the sin that exists in our lives, we turn to the cross and look to it, and we're made whole spiritually. And so we have this duality that plays out. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at a third one with Noah's Ark. 
and a duality of reality that exists there as well. But I'm not going to get to that one. I just want you to understand that you and I are created in the physical as a resemblance of the spiritual. In other words, humanity was created as a physical reflection of who God is, but we were created with greater spiritual implications. I think verse 7 of chapter 2 gives us some clues about some of those greater implications because it tells us that God breathed life into us. And I don't want to get real technical, but last week on Elohim, we talked about the I am structure. And when we see this word breathe life into us, it again has that I am structure that's there at the end of the word Cain. And so it has this idea of we were royal and authority when God breathed that into us. It came from him to us that we received the kind of authority that he has. Over the next three weeks, we are going to look more intently at these three sets of things that we're going to talk about today we're going to briefly talk about them so don't miss coming back to, to hear about each of these shifts that are created in our lives and about how they were wrecked and about how it is that god wants to salvage us from that the first one though is this cpr companionship partnership and relationship companionship relationship and partnership Look at the beginning of verse 26 with me. It says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God did not exist in a vacuum. God existed in three eternal co-parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they didn't argue in this verse. Look back. Let us make man in our image. And then they did it. There's no argument here. They were in complete agreement. Perfect fellowship. Perfect relationship. Perfect companionship. Jesus, in John chapter 17, as he's about to go to the cross, he prays a prayer. And in his prayer, twice he says, Father, I pray that all those that are believers, that are Jesus followers, would be unified as one. Just as you and I are one. Just as the Father and son are one you see you and i were created out of perfect relationship and invited into perfect relationship we were created out of perfect fellowship for the purpose of coming into perfect fellowship how many of you guys have ever performed cpr anybody a couple of you I have never performed CPR. I'm trained and have been trained for the last 15 years. And a few years ago, they updated the training. So I don't know if you've, if you've gone recently or not, but it used to be that you would, whenever somebody was there, you would check them for any signs of life or if something was going on, and then you'd begin with compressions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then you'd breathe two breaths. 
Then you go again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then you breathe some more breaths. But a few years ago, they changed that. Instead of giving the breaths back into somebody, it's now that in the course of 60 seconds, you give 60 pumps. Let me tell you, that's a workout, by the way. Just trying to do it inside of the training, whew, that's all you need to do. Just go do 60 pumps like that. Rest for 10 seconds and then go again. I promise you, you'll get bumped no, no time flat. But here's what happened. People were afraid to give the breath. They did a survey, a study of it, and they were like, people are afraid to give the breath. And it does just as much good if they'll do the pumping action, right, to try to save somebody's life as opposed to giving the full CPR. Because people understood that getting close and putting your lips on somebody else's lips was intimate. Not to mention the germs. And what if they didn't brush their teeth that day? Right? Or garlic. I'm not a big fan of garlic bread. I'm just saying. So they made a change. Because it's an incredibly intimate thing. In chapter 2, verse 7, we see an incredibly intimate moment that happens at the creation of man. God came down and breathed life into him. And that moment, I think, gives us a fuller picture of who it is that we are created. We were created in that intimate relationship for intimate relationship. Now slide on down to verse 18. It says this. It says, And God said, It is not good. Now, if you were here with us last week, you know that we saw over and over again in chapter 1, it, God saw it was good. God saw it was good. God saw it was good. But something that existed in the universe that God had created was not good in this moment. And here's what it was. You see, man was created out of relationship in the likeness of relationship with a need for relationship and he didn't have physical relationship. And even though God had designed us to be in relationship with him, God understood that that was on a spiritual level. And so he created woman for us to be in a physical relationship. Now, wait a second. Charles, are you saying that only a man and a woman can get married? Are you saying that everyone who's in here needs to get married? I'm not saying today. You'll have to come back next week to find out what I think about that when we talk about the love boat and, and about that being sunk. Just saying. Got to come back. But listen, God created us out of relationship for relationship. And so we are relational beings. We exist in relationships. We exist in partnerships. We exist in companionships. We exist in all of these different ships because that's how God created us. That's not the only ship that we see. Here's the second thing I think we see. WWL. It's not quite as good as CPR, right? Sounds like a website, right? Here's the good thing, though. Al Gore didn't invent this one. 
last couple of you got that one. God invented this one. So <laughs> after the CPR example, I just had to go with the WWL. Maybe those of you who like uh, wrestling, maybe you're thinking like Worldwide Wrestling League or something like that. Um, but here's what it is. Workmanship, worship, and leadership. Workmanship, worship, and leadership. Look back at chapter 1, verses 25, and then we'll skip down to verse 31. 25, it says this. It said, God saw that it was good. And then verse 31 says this. God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. It was very good. You know, last week we said that it was significant that God sees. Right? And it is significant that God sees. He is not blind. But today I want you to see something different about these two sets of verses. By the way, these two verses still happen on the exact same day. In verse 25, it's day six. God saw all that he had made. Day 30, or day 31. Day, day six is still what's going on in verse 31. So what happened in those in-between verses that made God change from saying that it was good to God saying that it was very good? And the answer is the creation of you and the creation of me. The creation of humanity took place in verses 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30. It's us. And again, I love the Septuagint here because when you get to verse 31, it doesn't say very good. It says, it says good, good. I love that. You're like, why? We don't talk like that. You're right. We don't talk like that. We don't say something's good, good. Yeah. But we do say this, the best of the best. And that's exactly what's being communicated here is that humanity brought everything to being the best of the best. You and me are God's finest workmanship. Look with Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Genesis 1.26 tells us some of the things that we're supposed to work for, some of what this work is. It says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We were designed to be leaders, to have leadership over all the things that existed. We were given the authority from God. And then, verse 28, is the divine directive, right? It says this, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living creature that moves. We were created to rule, protect, and lead in all of creation. But again, I want you to remember, this is a shadow, right? It's a resemblance in the physical of the spiritual. We were given that authority by God. And it actually ties us into our last thing. Because we were created for CMK, citizenship, 
membership, and kinship. Citizenship, membership, and kinship. I love this one. Chapter 2 has a zoomed-in approach when you look to the story of creation. Chapter 1 was this, how was the entire universe created? Chapter 2 was all about mankind and this intimate relationship with Adam, who then was a part of the lineage of Israel. And Adam was taken and placed into the Garden of Eden. He wasn't created in the Garden of Eden. He was placed there. Why? Because that was God's special place for him. A special place that he didn't deserve or earn on his own. And God brought him into it because that was a place where God could have that intimate relationship with him, that close relationship. In fact, I love when it talks about this in the Bible that, that when they were hiding, that God was walking through the garden. Now, it doesn't tell us that God every day came and walked through the garden with them, but it sure seems like it, that here it was the evening time, and he was looking for, where are my, my two friends, Adam and Eve, because I'm here to hang out with them and to be with them and to be near them, and something's not right. It was this special place that they got to be citizens of, that they got to be members of. Unfortunately, they got kicked out. And of course, it's even worse for you and me because we never even got to experience it. This amazingly special place that God created to be with humanity. But you and me, we weren't, we're not created for this earth. Let's just be honest about it. Our citizenship, Paul talks about it, our citizenship is somewhere else. And we were created for that and to be members of that. And so we're going to explore that in just a couple of weeks. Truth is, though, Right now, literally and symbolically, we live in a desert. Physical and a spiritual desert. It's not a garden. It's not easy. And it all happened in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sold all of their amazing ships. They sold all of them. In order to chase a lie. A lie that they can be like God. Why was it a lie? Because they were already created in his likeness. You know, we all have relationships that are sunk or seen. We all have, well, we all have leaders that we know that are in the swamps. Wish some of them would drain the swamp. And all of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, we just want to belong. Right? We just want a place to belong. You know, as I looked at this list, 
If you were here last week and I shared the story about Addison's toy that was broken, we went back to the manual and we learned all of these new things that the toy was supposed to do that it had never done before because we didn't ever read the manual. So I read the manual over the last couple of weeks and studied these ships that were in my life. I began to realize just how broken I am. How some of these just aren't working right. But I, but I learned something else. And it's really great news for you because it was great news for me. And the news is, is that God loves me anyways. Even though all of my ships are wrecked, God said, that's okay. So I have a plan. My plan is Jesus. He's going to come for the purpose of restoring all of your ships. His cross will make them all float. You'll be restored with me and you'll be restored with everybody else because of him. I was like, what a fantastic piece of news. And today, if that's you, you're like, you know what? Pastor Charles, you're right. My life is a wreck. I see the debris floating by every time I turn around somewhere. The answer is not me. The answer is really not even coming to church. There's only one answer. The answer is Jesus. And the answer is surrendering everything you have and saying, Jesus, my ship is sunk. I did it on my own. Can you help me? His answer is the same every time. He says, yes, child. My burden is light. that's you, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you need Jesus today to fix all of the ships in your life. Come see me. I'll be at the back. Just come tell me. I need Jesus. I'll pray with you, and I'll introduce you to my best friend. Father, I thank you for today, for an opportunity to look at how each of us are created, how we are designed, how we were fashioned in your likeness. God, that you were so intentional that you thought of both men and women. God, that you created us for a relationship with you, but you also created us for a relationship with each other. God, I pray that we would just, we would live out who it is that you've designed us to be. Through Jesus this week, give you all of the glory and the honor in your name.